You're listening to A Sure Hope with Pastor Dave Shank of Calvary Chapel, Cape May in Cape May, New Jersey. Join us as Pastor Dave teaches verse by verse through God's Word. following an idol is, putting something in the place of God. Could be a numerous things, anything that you can think of. It could be many, many different things. It could be good things that are in your life, like children, a spouse, a job. It could be good things that are in your lives. But when they rise up to become higher in the priority level than God, they are idols. As Pastor Dave teaches from the Old Testament today, we're reminded of the many times Israel chose to turn away from God to lifeless idols. While we may think idol worship is an ancient practice, the reality is that idol worship continues to this day, anytime we choose to replace God with something else. Now, here's Pastor Dave in the book of 2 Kings chapter 6 as he begins his message, A God Who Keeps His Covenant. Second Kings chapter 6, beginning in verse 24. Let's dig in. Let's pray, if you will, please. Let's bow our hearts. Gracious Father, as we now come to you, we thank you, Lord, that we can draw close to you through worship, and we can tell you how much we love you. We can sing of your praises and sing of your worth and sing of your glory, Lord, and we can give you praise and glory by our lips, Lord. With praises on our lips and thanksgiving in our heart, Lord, we come before you and we sound off, Lord. We pray, Lord, that it came up to you as a sweet Savior, a sweet-smelling sacrifice, Lord, that you found favor with your children. Now, Lord, we pray, Lord, that we'd have the same effect as we study your word. Lord, we love your word. We love that it draws us closer to you. We love the fact that your word encourages us our faith. We love the fact that your word helps us and guides us and leads us, and we can count on your word. And we love the fact that your word is a lamp unto our feet. It's a guide to our path. And we know by reading your word, Lord, we can know more of how you want us to act and how you want us to live our lives. We thank you, Lord, that we have your word and the pristine condition it is in. It's the same now as when it was written, inspired by your spirit, but written by man. So, Lord, help us, Lord, to be correctly dividing your word. Help us, Lord, to be doers of your word, Father God, that we might apply your word to our lives. Lord, we thank you, Father God. We just praise you. We worship you in Jesus' name. Amen. So I thought it was a good idea If we take a look back real quick to see where we've been to kind of get a running start so that we can jump in to today's verses. The nation of Israel had been divided in two. Ten tribes in the north became the kingdom of Israel. Two tribes left in the south became the kingdom of Judah. Each kingdom had a king. The book of 2 Kings makes no surprise that it's a continuation of the book of 1 Kings. It gives us a history story, 
but it also gives us prophecy concerning the affairs of these two kingdoms and how they interact with each other, how they interact with the nations that are around them, but more importantly is how they interact with the Lord God Jehovah. That is the main thing that I'm getting out of it. The northern kingdom of Israel had turned away from the Lord God Jehovah and were following after foreign gods. You remember, they started to worship the god Baal. And they built golden calves in Bethel and in Samaria. They built these things to worship at. They forgot the Lord God Jehovah. They left him aside and they started moving on because their kings were evil. And you remember King Ahab and Jezebel and all the evilness that, that would befall in them and how they kept on continually doing their evil things. And they basically took the nation into what is called spiritual adultery. They took the nation into what is called spiritual adultery. God being their God, remember when they came out of Egypt, he took them to the mountain and said, you will be my people and I will be your God. Well, they turned from him, and this is committing spiritual adultery. They started to go after other gods. So as we came into 2 Kings, it opens a rebellion from the Moabites after King Ahab's death. His son, Ahaziah, was ruling, but he had an accident. It seems like he fell through the roof of one of his buildings and got hurt. So the first thing he does is he sends one of his servants out to inquire of Beelzebub, if he would recover or not. But the Lord intervenes through the prophet Elijah and asks the question, why would you go to Beelzebub? Why would you go to a foreign god? Is not there a god of Israel? The, the kingdom had turned their back completely on God, Jehovah. They had turned their back completely. This is how far the nation had fallen. Elijah foretells of Azahiah's death, and it comes to pass. Elijah the prophet had been a major role and a major scene in 1 Kings as we came out of that. He challenged and killed the prophets of Baal. He did miracles among the people. He was constantly coming against the kings, constantly becoming against them because they were worshiping idols and had fallen from the worship of the Lord God Jehovah, the one true living God. But Elijah's time was done. He had accomplished that which God had called him to do. So God took him out. We know that he left this earth in a whirlwind, in a chariot of fire. He was gone. But he left behind his mantle, his symbol of his prophetic calling, symbol of the Holy Spirit. And Elisha, his apprentice, picked it up. Elisha had asked Elijah for a double portion of his spirit. And immediately he goes and he heals the water of Jericho. Some young kids are making fun of him and he sends a bear to chew him up. But this establishes him as a man of God. This establishes him as a man after God's heart, a man who was led of God, a man who was a prophet. Jehoram becomes king of Israel, and although he's not as evil as his father Ahab, he still continues to cleave to the sin that Jeroboam had way back when the first split. Moab rebels against Israel and is defeated after Elisha intervenes for God. Meanwhile, 
if you remember, Elisha demonstrates the grace of God by multiplying the widow's oil. Remember that? So she could pay the debt of her son. Her son had gotten into debt and he, they couldn't pay it. So she got the oil and she multiplied the oil and they sold it and they got the money to pay the son's debt. How about, do you remember the Shunammite woman? The Shunammite woman who showed hospitality to Elisha. And he repaid her by saying that she was going to have a son. And she did have a son. But the son died. And she got real angry at Elisha for almost cursing her. But Elisha came and he revived the son. He brought the son back to life with the help of the Lord. Then Elisha made a stew. Remember, they made a stew and they used gourds that were poisonous. And he threw a stick in the stew and it became edible. And then he feeds the hundred men. And then remember Nahum? Nahum, the Syrian commander who had leprosy. And he comes and Elisha's servant Gehazi says, what's wrong with this guy? And he says, Tell him to go bathe in the River Jordan seven times. And Nahum gets real uppity. He gets real uppity. He's like, how dare him tell me to go bathe in the River Jordan? And we mentioned that if you've seen the River Jordan, you can understand why he was a little resident to go in. It's not the best looking river you've ever seen. And I love what his servant, Nahum's servant, said to him. If the prophet had told you to do something great, You'd have run like heck and you'd have done it, wouldn't you? So Nahum goes and he dips himself in the Jordan River seven times and his leprosy is gone. His leprosy is gone. He wants to repay Elisha. And he offers Elisha all this money, but Elisha doesn't do it because Elisha's working for God and he knows that he doesn't want any of the money. But his sidekick, Gehazi, he had a little greed in him. And he followed, and he took the money. It was found out, and Naaman's leprosy went to Gehazi. So we had, that was the end of him. We don't see him anymore. And then the floating axe head, remember we talked about that? He blinds the Syrian eyes, but opens the eyes of his attendant to see all the, the group around him. Remember we studied that a little while ago? Elisha revealed the character of God to the nation. He revealed the character trying to get them to turn from their idols and to worship the Lord God Jehovah. Sadly, it didn't work. Sadly, the nation's hearts were hardened and the nation continued to follow after foreign gods. And God would have his way with them. God would eventually keep his covenant with them. See, God keeps his covenant with you for the good and for the bad. God keeps his covenant. We're going to talk about that in a little while. God wanted to use King Joram of Israel to bring the people back to him. And Jehovah God does not like it when the nation worships idols. And the psalmist knew it. And I was drawn to Psalm 115. You don't have to turn there if you don't want to. But in Psalm 115, I just need to read it for you because it talks about this. Basically, the title is The Futility of Idols and the Trustworthiness of God. And listen to this, the psalm. Not unto us, O Lord, not unto us, but to your name give glory. Because of your mercy, because of your truth. Why should the Gentiles say, so where is their God? But our God is in heaven. He does whatever he pleases. Their idols are silver and gold. The work of men's hands. They have mouths, but they do not speak. 
eyes they have, but they do not see. They have ears, but they do not hear. Noses they have, but they do not smell. They have hands, but they do not handle. Feet they have, but they do not walk. Nor do they mutter through their throat. Those who make them are like them. So is everyone who trusts in them. So Israel, trust in the Lord. He is their help and shield. O house of Aaron, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. You who fear the Lord, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. There's a theme here, folks. I hope you're picking it up. Jehovah God is the Lord. Trust in him. He is your hope and your shield. Trust in him. He is your help. The Lord has been mindful of us. He will bless us. He will bless the house of Israel. He will bless the house of Aaron. He will bless those who fear the Lord, both small and great. May the Lord give you increase more and more, you and your children. May you be blessed by the Lord who made heaven and earth. The heaven, even the heavens are the Lord's, but the earth he has given to the children of men. The dead do not please the Lord, nor any who go down into silence. But we will bless the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. I love that. I love that. The psalmist is saying, why are you bothering with these stone Silver, gold, metallic idols. They aren't God. They can't do anything for you. They won't do anything for you. Their face never change. It's the same thing. Why are you going after these? The Lord God, Jehovah, is the one true living God. Why do we possibly go after Jehovah's? Why do we go after other things other than God? When Trouble befalls you. Is your first thought to pray? Or is your first thought to do something else? To try to render and fix the situation? If it is, you are following after an idol. You're going after something other than God. And that's what following an idol is. Putting something in the place of God. Could be numerous things. Anything that you can think of. It could be many, many different things. It could be good things that are in your life, like children, a spouse, a job. It could be good things that are in your lives. But when they rise up to become higher in the priority level than God, they are idols. And they've taken the place of God. This displeases God. Scripture says he's a jealous God, not in the way we think jealousies. He knows what will befall you if you continue down that path. As we start at chapter 6, the Lord has seen the plans of the Syrian army, and he tells Elisha about it. Elisha goes and warns the king. See, the Lord not only knows your actions, but he knows the actions of the people around you. If you ever thought that the Lord didn't have it under control, you need to think again. Everything is moving exactly the way he has planned it, including this nation, including this world. It is all in the palm of his hand. He's got the whole world. No, anyhow, it is all in God's plan. Everything will happen in God's perfect timing. Everything will go according to his plan. And when we look at it, it can be scary. Absolutely it can be scary. But we have to remember who's in charge. 
Who's moving the pieces of this giant chess game? We have to remember that. Because if we don't, we start thinking of other things other than the Lord. I mean, look what happened when this giant army came to get Elisha. His servant had fear. His servant had all kinds of fear. And Elisha prayed, Lord, open up his eyes. And the Lord opened up his eyes and he looked. And surrounding them who were surrounding them was this huge angelic army. And he was able to see that. The Lord's got everything under control, including our president. The Lord has everything under control. It might not be your plan. It might not be my plan. But you can guarantee it'll be the Lord's plan. And in that, we have to have faith that he knows what he's doing. And we trust in him, for he is our shield and our help. Oh, gee, we just read that in the psalm. Even though the majority of those living in the northern kingdom were totally unfaithful to God, he was not unfaithful to them. He was not unfaithful to them because he still cared for them in his infinite mercy and grace. Remember what Paul told his son in the faith, Timothy? God is ever faithful even when we are faithless, for he cannot deny himself. God is ever faithful. We have to remember that. Everything will happen according to God's plan. So the king of Syria heard about Elisha who informed the Israelites that he was going to attack. So the best thing that he could do was get rid of Elisha. That's good. Not knowing that Elisha knew all the king's schemes because the Lord told him. Someone once said that when God's servants are in his will and doing his work, they are immortal until the work is accomplished. That's an interesting quote. Did you ever think about that? If you're in the will of God and you're doing the will of God, you are immortal until God has finished that work. He will use you to finish that work. He will give you the want, the power, and the strength to finish that work by his Holy Spirit. God does that. Great army surrounds the city where Elisha and his servants are. Elisha is cool, calm, and collected. He knows the promises of God. We might wonder what promises he had. Well, you can read things like in Psalm 27, Isaiah 12, Deuteronomy 30. You can read these things where the promises of God are real. But Elisha was more worried about the servant's faith. So he asked the Lord to open the servant's eyes, as I said. And we see a great angelic army. So the Lord protects the northern kingdom from yet another attack from the Syrians by blinding the Syrian army. And then God showed great mercy upon them because Elisha, instead of killing all this army, lets them go. He feeds them and he lets them go. Ben-Hadad, king of Syria, decided it was time to go to war once again with Israel. So he wanted to make war. Maybe I had something to prove. Maybe he had something that he had to show. I don't know. So this time, he sends a large contingent of army, and he goes to Samaria, the capital, and he lays siege. Look at verse 64 of chapter 6. And it happened after this that Benadad, king of Syria, gathered all his army and went up and besieged Samaria. Interesting. Even the kindness and the mercy of the Lord God Jehovah could not change the heart of of the Syrian king. Remember, in the last verses, just above those in the last verses, was when his army was captured. And instead of being made slaves, and instead of being killed, they were given food and water and sent their way. 
But the king didn't realize that. His heart was hard, so he comes after Samaria. He was dead set upon destruction and overconquering the kingdom of Israel. So he besieged Samaria. What is a siege? What happens when you siege a city? It's been a long time since we've had sieges, but what happens when we siege a city? It's like a blockade. You surround the city with all your troops. Nobody gets in, nobody gets out. You keep a close reign of everything within that city. That means that when the food supply runs out, it's gone. When the water runs out, it's gone. You have nothing left. But what happens is, usually when this happens, you are forced to surrender. You are forced to surrender. There was a great siege back in World War II, but it failed. Great siege of Stalingrad, or Leningrad, I think it was Stalingrad. Yeah, it failed. But anyhow, this one doesn't do too well either, except there's a siege. It was common in those days. But the siege worked, because the people began to starve. And they were starving to the point of cannibalism. Starving to the point of cannibalism. Let's read 25 through 29. And there was a great famine in Samaria. And indeed, they besieged it until a donkey's head was sold for 80 shekels of silver and one-fourth of a cab of dove droppings for five shekels of silver. Then as the king of Israel was passing by on the wall, a woman cried out to him saying, Help my lord, O king! And he said, if the Lord does not help you, where can I find help for you? From the threshing floor or from the wine press? Then the king said to her, what is troubling you? She answered, this woman said to me, give me your son. We may eat him today and we will eat my son tomorrow. So we boiled my son and ate him. And I said to her the next day, give me your son that we may eat him. But she's hidden her son. This is what they were driven to. This is what they were driven to. They were driven to do horrible things. They were driven to this. They were also price gouging. Sounds like something that happens around here when we got a hurricane coming in, right? They were price gouging. They, they, were, they were taking advantage of this horrible situation by charging people exuberant amount of money. It successfully starved these people. It was so bad that a donkey's head or dove droppings became so expensive that only those who had all kinds of money could afford them. Sadly, these people had been warned by God that he would do this exact same thing, that he would punish them if they ignored and failed to live up to the covenant that he made with them. God keeps his covenant. He keeps it for those who do good, and he keeps it for those who do not so good. God keeps his covenant. The covenant we have now is a new covenant. We have that through the blood of Jesus Christ on the cross, don't we? God keeps that covenant for whoever believes upon the Lord will be saved. What happens to those who don't believe upon the Lord? God will keep his covenant. They will not experience fellowship with God for eternity. God will keep his covenant. You are assured.
You've been listening to a teaching from the book of 2 Kings with Pastor Dave Shank on A Sure Hope. There's a theme that you notice throughout this book. A person's actions have consequences. In the case of the majority of kings in this book, it was evil actions that incurred negative consequences. Do you think God enjoys handing out consequences for sin? On the contrary, just as a parent would prefer willful obedience, God desires for people to seek after Him and follow what He says because it's best for them. When that isn't the case, it grieves him to put forth discipline, but it's always with a heart for people to come back to him for their good. If you missed any part of today's teaching or you'd like to listen to additional messages from Pastor Dave, visit AssureHopeRadio.com. Perhaps as you were listening, you realized that you have some questions about what you heard. We'd be happy to talk with you and provide some resources to answer your questions. Give us a call at 609-884-5821. That's 609-884-5821. In addition to that, you're welcome to email us at info at capewatchradio.com with any questions, concerns, or prayer requests. Would you rather talk to us in person? Then think about joining us this Sunday for a time in God's Word at Calvary Chapel, Cape May. Everything you need to know is on our website, assurehoperadio.com. Thank you again for taking time to learn from the book of 2 Kings today. We hope you'll join us again on Assure Hope.